Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Kristen. And I'm Caroline. And today we are talking about school dress codes and uniforms and whether or not they have a positive impact on student life and learning And a lot of public schools have been looking into this dress code issue because while for private schools, dress codes and uniforms are pretty common, Mm -hmm. but it's a newer thing for public schools to uh, enforce dress codes more strictly. Something we really have seen since the mid to late 90s. Yeah, I I was a dress code kid. I went to a private school from second grade to 12th grade. Mm Mm-hmm was always in some sort of dress code, the tucking in of the shirts, the wearing of collars, and such. Did you have a fingertip length rule? Oh, yeah. Oh, fingertip length. Absolutely. Your your shorts and skirts had to be at fingertip length or longer, and that meant that my mother put me in some really embarrassing pleated shorts in middle school. I know that they just made you look proper and refined. Also, bunchy around the waist. Well, as you can imagine, in homeschool, we had very strict <laughs> pajamas all the time. <laughs> very strict <laughs> dress codes. No, we didn't have any dress codes. But in high school, I went to a private high school, and there were some funny changes that came about with a dress code while I was still there. Um, when I started as a freshman, they had the, the typical stuff of the fingertip length rule, no spaghetti strap tank tops, mm-hmm. stuff like that, no uh, excessive logos. But then flip-flops became really popular. Mm-hmm. Just like those plastic flip-flops. Yeah, you we could, couldn't do that. Yeah, you could get at Old Navy in right. a rainbow of colors for like three bucks a pop. And since we're in the South, this was great. You could basically wear them year-round. Mm-hmm. And you could accessorize with them. Huh. Well... My sophomore or junior year, they enforced a no quote unquote shower shoes yep. rule. The one time, Caroline, that I got sent to the principal's office. You bad kid. In high school was for my flip flops. I was in AP Latin. <laughs> and my teacher looks down, notices my perfectly accessorized cheap flip flops. And said to me, Kristen. Oh, actually, she said Paulina because that was my name in my oh, class. Oh, nice. Mine was Clara. Oh, that's cute. Okay. <laughs> and she sent me to the principal's office, and we had to have a discussion about "quote unquote" shower shoes. How and- you were tearing society apart. Well, his whole argument was that it reflected poorly on our school when visitors came along. Essentially, that I didn't look wealthy enough <laughs> in my latrine footwear. Yep. So that was it. Hmm. Yeah, I, I don't I I got some demerits in high school because uh I would try to sneak around not wearing a collared shirt with pants, you know. You could wear an uncollared shirt with skirts, that was fine, but if you're wearing pants or shorts, you had to have a collar. So I got some demerits. But like I would try I had longer hair and I would try to like cover it over my collar. Sneaky. I don't know why I fought that battle. That was not a battle worth fighting, because, honestly. Well, I feel like in high school especially and in middle school Dress codes are just asking for kids to start exercising their earliest. It's freedom of speech, man. Yeah, for them to to get rebellious. So let's talk about some dress code issues that have come up 
and how schools have dealt with them and also how kids have pushed back not only for laxer dress codes, but in some cases for more stringent dress codes, as we will discuss. Yeah, one protest, Kristen, that gained a lot of exposure. Get it? Dress code pun. Yeah. Was at New York's Stuyvesant High School. Uh, this was in 2012. The protest was called Slutty Wednesday. They were protesting the dress code that was adopted in fall 2011 to combat clothing styles that the administration deemed unacceptable. Some of those rules included that sayings and pictures on clothes had to be in good taste. You couldn't have a picture of, like, a beer mug on your shirt. Uh, shorts, dresses, and skirts have to extend at least beyond the fingertips and no shoulders, undergarments, midriffs, and lower backs could be exposed. That sounds like, that's not terrible, right? Yeah, that sounds pretty standard. When I was yeah. reading that, at first, it seemed like the kids were kind of getting upset over nothing. But when you get into the details of how the code was being enforced, it wasn't just a thing of kids wanting to wear beer logo shirts to school, but more the fact that girls in particular were being singled out and not just... You know, any girls, it was certain girls with curvier body types. Mm-hmm. Um, for instance, Jessica Valenti was, uh, wrote a post about this for the nation. She actually went to Stuyvesant High School and she quoted senior Lucinda Ventimiglia, who had said that she'd been told that her skirts were technically within the dress code, but they were too short for her. And the school administrators told her that she was being pulled aside for dress code for her own protection. That basically, if she didn't follow the dress code and wear more modest clothing, then she would be at risk of rape. Yeah. So really, really getting in that whole uh, you're asking for it thing. Early in life, uh, a senior who helped organize Slutty Wednesday, Benjamin Coates, said, It's called Slutty Wednesday to symbolize that we're not actually slutty. I guess these kids are just, they're, they're getting out there and they're exercising their right to, to protest. Yeah, because one of the complaints, too, was that the high school didn't have the best air conditioning mm-hmm. system. And New York summer does get pretty hot. So they were arguing that it was just, it was hampering their learning environment because they would be sweating all the time. Hey, I got in college, I remember I got sent home from a class, not me personally, but we all did, because the air conditioning was out. It was hot. It was like August. So I don't know, maybe it can hamper learning if you're really hot. (laughs) Northern schools get snow days. Southern schools get air conditioners broken days. (laughs) As they should. Well, so how does this connect to Title IX? Some of these articles, uh, an article covering it in the New York Times and Valenti's article in The Nation talk about Title IX. And they talk about the way in which these women, the curvier students who are dealing with administrators pulling them aside, the way that these women are targeted or called out could fall under disparate impact. So under this theory, a recipient violates, get ready for some fancy language, a recipient violates agency regulations by using a neutral procedure or practice that has a disparate impact on protected individuals or a disproportionate impact on the basis of sex. So the argument is that these dress codes could be in violation of Title IX because it really has a much greater impact on how girls have to dress compared to guys. Right. And that was something that I experienced in high school as well. Guys had to wear collared shirts and 
slacks or shorts. But there, of course, was no issue about fingertip length rule and just all of the and, and shower shoes. Guys weren't getting caught with right. with their accessorized flip flops and being sent to the principal's office. Um, but. <laughs> On the flip side of the whole slutty Wednesday thing, there has also been a movement started by high school freshman Sage Hatch at her high school for more modesty. Yeah. Sage Hatch uh, comes from a long line of hatches. Uh, she's a cousin of Republican Senator Orrin Hatch from Utah, and she's the daughter of Brent and Felicia Hatch, auth- authors of Raising a G-Rated Family in an X-Rated World. Her brother, her older brother, actually started the No Cussing Club at their school, and she decided she wanted to hop on this train of changing things for the better in her mind. So she starts a modesty club after seeing her peers wearing revealing clothes. And part of uh, the website about her modesty club says... Our bright, heroic women are being made the fool. And then she illustrates her penchant for parallelism. Uh, she says, a fool to think that to be loved, they must be naked. To be noticed, they must be sexualized. To be admired, they must be objectified. And in response to her campaign for this modesty club, the city of Pasadena, California, ended up issuing a proclamation declaring December 3rd through 7th Modesty Week. Which also happens to be my birthday week. Well, there you go, Kristen. Correlation it's or perfect. causation? <laughs> you tell me, Caroline. Now, the thing about Hatch's Modesty Week, while she did get a lot of flack from students about this, as you can imagine, it is not the coolest thing to say, hey, fellow teenagers, let's put on more clothes. No, Slutty Wednesday, far more appealing to to youth. And I say that as a former youth. <laughs> um but, I mean, I get where she's coming from. She she has uh, good intentions in terms of saying, women, we don't need to, to be sexualized and objectified and all of that. But framing it in terms of a modesty week and it being adopted by the city, mm-hmm. and it goes back to this whole thing of putting the onus on women exclusively to make sure that they don't dress in such a way that it might distract men or possibly put them in danger of being targets of sexual assault, even though study after study, research after research finds that the relationship between what you're wearing and sexual assault is null and void. That does not make a difference. So we can go ahead and bust that myth. And when Hatch was asked about guys' participation in Modesty Club, she was like, well, you know, we want them to respect women, but they don't really need to change how they're dressing. Yeah. Because they're boys. Yeah, there is a lot of concern placed just on how young women dress as opposed to men. And going back to that story Vescent high school protest, the dress code issues, Valenti quoted Principal Stanley Titel, who said... Many young ladies wear denim skirts, which are very tight and are short to begin with. And when they sit down, they only rise up because there's nowhere else to go. The bottom line is some things are a distraction. And we don't need to distract students from what is supposed to be going on here, which is learning. And Valenti argues, hey, buddy, that's your problem. It's not the responsibility of female students to mitigate the male gaze. The real distraction, she says, is the shaming and shameful way that this high school is treating women. And Soraya Chamali over at the Huffington Post on February 19th of this year got into the fray writing about not only how, like Kristen said, the onus is on young women, 
But also that uh, LGBT kids are facing the same issues. There are all these issues of gender identity and how you dress at school and whether that fits into this preset dress code. Yeah, the thing that uh, Shamali brings up that, that is echoed over and over and over again by school administrators who uh, want to enforce these stricter dress codes is that whole distraction factor of saying that if girls are dressed a certain way or students are dressed a certain way, showing too much skin, being too provocative, then it's going to distract all of these male students in particular, even though some of the advocates on behalf of uh, laxer dress codes for specifically for girls would say that, well, isn't it equally distracting for girls to be like not only concerned that what they wear might be putting them at risk of something, but that they are clearly and constantly being told that they are the objects of, you know, a, a sexual gaze, that there's really no safe space for that. Yeah. And then, of course, you know, we get into the issue of kids dressing against gender norms in school and how big of a deal that is in high school. And so everybody's saying, oh, it's so distracting. You know, if you if you dress against your gender, if boys are wearing wigs, all this stuff. And there are several reports from the past couple of years of like actual safety issues for some kids in high school. Yeah, I would argue that these days, the gender identity stuff that comes up with dress code enforcement is more crucial in a way than the whole antiquated modesty argument. Um, for instance, in 2009, a Cobb County school, which is right near where That's you and land, I are. The land from which I hail. Yes. Uh, Cobb County school sent home a male student who dressed in women's clothes and wigs. That made national news, actually. Uh, in February 2008, Lawrence King, who was an eighth grader from Oxnard, California, who occasionally wore high-heeled boots and makeup, was shot to death in class by another student. And in August 2009, a Mississippi student's senior portrait was barred from her yearbook because she had posed in a tuxedo. Initially, she went in and, you know, they put her in the traditional drape mm-hmm. the girls wear, and she hated it so much. She, she even tried, you know, to go through with it, you know, to kind of toe that line. But then she's like, you know what? No, I, I want to do it in the tux. Is this the student whose mom ended up buying a full page ad in the yearbook to put a picture of her daughter in a tuxedo? Yes. So that it would still make it into the yearbook? Yes. Um, so these kinds of, uh, factors are, are, are coming up a lot because, yeah, it's true that dress has always been a way for teens to communicate their evolving identities. And these days we are seeing more gender fluidity as part of that. Right. And you could argue that they should be allowed to explore those things. And it could be a good thing for that to be allowed in schools as a way of normalizing that kind of gender, broadening gender spectrum to the students around them. Right. You know, to re- possibly protect them from harassment over time. Yeah, I I definitely agree with Diane Aronsaft, who's a psychologist who was quoted in the New York Times in 2009. She says this is really an issue of a generational divide. She says this generation is really challenging the gender norms we grew up with. For them, gender is a creative playing field. She also goes goes on to say that adults these days have become the gender police through dress codes. Now it's not so much just about making sure girls' skirts hit their fingertips. 
but it's also becoming a gender issue. Yeah, I mean, and the thing is, I can I can sympathize to a point with school administrators who are, A, trying to run a school. That is just not easy to begin with. But now, you know, when you talk about dress codes, you're having to take into account factors like anti-discrimination policies, mental health factors, community standards, the whole classroom distraction thing, safety factors. I mean, it, it's become this huge issue that is not just solved with a fingertip length rule or a no high heels for boys rule. Um, because you also have people like Kay Himnowitz, who's a senior fellow at the Manhattan Institute and also the author of books such as The Plight of the Alpha Female and Manning Up, How the Rise of Women Has Turned Men into Boys, who has talked publicly about how, you know, kids need to dress according to their traditional gender roles in school because, quote, it's hard enough to get kids to concentrate on an algorithm, even without Jimmy sitting there in lipstick and fake eyelashes. So you could line up her quote next to the principal who talked about the denim skirt rising up. Could you not? Yeah. It's the whole distraction thing. Yeah. We don't want our kids distracting other kids. And then there's also, there is too, the question of safety, because dress codes are often enforced with the idea that it would promote a safer learning environment. But if those, you know, those kids who might be dressing outside the gender norm are called out so often and and ostracized as a result of it, aren't you also endangering their safety uh, at the same time? Yeah, uh, Stephen Russell, a University of Arizona professor, surveyed California high schoolers asking why those students perceived as not as, quote, masculine or feminine as others were harmful. And the leading reason he found that students gave was manner of dress. So maybe kids are are absorbing those those messages that are being sent through dress codes. And um, to, I mean, obviously, this isn't again, I, I don't want to oversimplify this issue and just say, let kids wear whatever they want to school in any fa- form or fashion. Um, but I think Diane Levin, who's a professor at Wheelock College in Boston, who's looked into this, uh, makes a good point when she says, don't just abandon the student. But if it seems like the way a student is dressing is problematic, you need to find out why. Are they being sensation seeking? Can they keep the student? Can the school keep the student safe in some way? Like kind of figure out what's going on instead of just saying, go home, change your clothes. Yeah. And I think it's worth noting. I know we're talking about younger kids, middle school and high school, but I do think it's worth noting that the University of Oxford in England, where I spent a summer, uh, got rid of its rules regarding gender specific academic clothing after concerns arose that the policies were unfair to the transgender community. So previously, when uh, men and women went to formal occasions like exams, men had to wear dark suits, socks, black shoes, white bow tie and plain white shirt under their gowns. Whereas women had to wear a dark skirt or trousers, white blouse, black stockings, shoes, black ribbon, uh, in their hair tied to bow. This, this, it's very complicated. She is just to take a test. Anyway, as of August 4th, 2012, men can choose to attend formal occasions in skirts and stockings and women in suits and white bow ties. So if Oxford is adjusting, I mean, I, I think that signals kind of a sea change. But speaking of Oxford and its change in its uniform rules, mm-hmm. maybe the solution to all of this stuff you know, to kind of nip in the bud before it can even happen is to enforce uniforms for schools, because that would just 
you know, just strip the whole identity thing. You can jazz things up in certain ways, obviously. Put your own spin on your frock. But maybe school uniforms are the answer. And this was something that was looked into on the public school level in the United States in the late 1990s, President Clinton actually instructed the Federal Education Department to distribute school uniform policy manuals to all U.S. school districts in 1996. And there was a big push after that for school uniforms in public schools, especially following the Columbine shootings in 1999, thinking that if you can kind of eliminate these differences between these different groups of kids at school and just make everybody look the same. We're going to solve a lot of problems and everyone will be safer and everyone will be the most popular. Right? <laughs> yeah, it's just like a not a surf song. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I mean, it doesn't entirely work out that way and and we'll go into that here in a second. Um, but no state so far has legislatively mandated school uniforms. I think there might be an uprising. Do you think? I feel like people would be like, not in my backyard. Well, that's the thing. In the United States, people, as soon as you start talking about enforcing dress codes in public schools, private schools, you know, they can do what they want pretty much. But with public schools, you're going to have someone at least raise the issue of First Amendment freedom of speech. Although I will say that the courts have traditionally recognized the unique needs of the school environment, but still, it would probably cost a lot of money, not to mention time, if a state wanted to pass a blanket rule like that for all public schools. Right. As for the effects of uniforms, a lot of the stuff out there is just anecdotal evidence. You know, like uh, we, we put a uniform rule in this school and kids started paying more attention or they started behaving better. A lot of information out there is coming from, conveniently enough, Uniform companies, yes. companies that make those special plaid skirts. Um, French toast, which is, you know, quote unquote, official school wear, tells us that uh, in 2011, there was a 7% increase in public school uniforms in the U.S., 150,000 more kids wearing them. They say that uniforms create an enhanced climate for learning, helping students to focus, again, getting rid of those daily distractions, that they boost school unity and pride. Everybody looks the same. They're all wearing the school color. So yay, rah, rah, go school. And they also say that uniforms encourage self-expression outside of your clothing so that you're forced to be like, I don't know, more artistic personally instead of through your shirts or skirts. I will exhibit my lively personality through my high scores on science tests. Perfect. That's what everybody's going for. And they make arguments about safety and security, that it eliminates clothes used to intimidate or conceal contraband, and it helps you easily identify outsiders. You know, if somebody's... You know, wearing jeans amid a sea of uniform pants. They also argue that uniforms are cost effective, although French Toast's reasoning for this mostly falls in line with their own pricing. They're like, it's cost effective. Meanwhile, why don't you go over and look at our shirts that you can buy? Um, there are a lot of questions of price because one of the arguments of, you know, don't institute a uniform policy in my school, you know, or in my district or whatever is, can parents afford it? Is it actually a financial availability to all families? And I think uh, there's this piece we read about 
UK public schools, where the author argues that if we make some changes, maybe it could be available to all. Yeah, because in the UK, uh, it's standard for public school kids to wear uniforms. And the author, Angela Walmsley, who was writing in uh, FICAPN magazine in March 2011, talked about how uniforms in the UK are very cost effective because since all the schools require them, then that, you know, gets the market in motion to drive the prices down a bit because you have to have competitive prices if you want to move these uniforms off the shelf. Yeah, and she also talks about how, you know, the schools in the UK, because it is at every school, they're not pushing those special plaids. They're saying, you know, you have to wear, like, khaki pants or black pants and a white polo shirt. Well, you can buy a white polo shirt in a lot of places. It's not like when you're in the U.S., you know, or, you know, for my, for instance, in my school, we didn't have uniforms. We had a dress code. But towards the end of my time in high school, a lot of the girls that I went to school with were so fed up with how strict and seemingly arbitrary at times our dress code was that they started pushing for uniforms. But the uniforms they went for were that special plaid. Strangely, not in our school colors. But anyway, yeah, they, they actually were very pricey. Yeah. I mean, and anecdotally, when I was in high school, I would have totally been on board with school uniforms, if only to eliminate the the stress of getting dressed every morning and going into a <laughs> sartorially competitive environment. Mm-hmm. Because unlike being in a larger public school, where I'm sure the same thing still happens, uh, but I was in a private school where I had a class of 65 other kids and... If you weren't wearing, you know, uh, a, a snappy outfit, you did stand out and people did talk about you. And Ugh. because it was a pricey school, people knew about labels. Mm-hmm. And I was not one of the the rich kids who could wear all the labels. So it would have been awesome to have uniforms. Although I remember talking about that with friends of mine at school and we realized that the whole label competition would simply trickle down to where like you would have to wear amazing expensive shoes <laughs> or have to get I don't know hair extensions or something. You know, we would always handbags. Oh my yeah. god. People went crazy over handbags. Like there was always going to be some kind of mm-hmm. conspicuous consumption going on whether you have uniforms or not. But still would have made matching my outfits easier. Yeah, for sure. There's less stress in the morning. And I'm sure, I mean, I I did have friends who went to schools with uniforms, and I remember my mom talking to their moms, you know, and and there was, yes, more maybe more of a cost up front, because you have to buy this many skirts or trousers or shirts or whatever from the special uniform company. But eventually it evens out because you're not buying... 50 different types of shirts so that your daughter ha- can pick from all of these things to wear during the week. It's like, okay, well, you have the uniform, and then you have weekend clothes and church clothes or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, it seems much simpler. Um, but the one thing, though, we haven't gone much into is whether or not, outside of just a sense of well-being and maybe saving some time in the morning, whether uniforms and stricter dress codes do have an impact because... Even though I think that we would like to think in a way that, at least adults, from an adult perspective, I can totally see where it's coming from. Maybe for kids, not so much. But uh, I think that we would like to think that making everything look nicer at school mm-hmm. will make kids learn better and make the teaching environment easier and more manageable. But over and over again, as you've mentioned, the 
Research is scarce in terms of any kind of statistically significant results, one way or the other. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of these studies are just saying like, well, I mean, some kids did better. Some kids did worse. Uh, there was a University of Houston study from 2010 that found there was a slightly better impact for the female students at the schools that they surveyed. They looked at 160 schools in a large urban district from 1993 all the way to 2006. And the findings showed bolstered attendance, academics, and behavior in middle and high school students once their schools adopted uniforms with the biggest improvement among girls. Yeah, they found that uh, the school district was more likely to retain female students at all grade levels once they started wearing the uniforms. But that doesn't take into account whether or not different teaching methods were mm-hmm. were changed, other factors. There's so many variables that right. go into you know, student retention, student learning, that while uniforms might seem like an easy fix for it, clearly from the mixed results of all the studies we found, it's not some kind of magic bullet. Right. And one former New Jersey school board official, Matt Busing, wrote in The School Administrator back in April 2011 that, listen, adopting uniforms is not a silver bullet for problems in a school. Uniform policies or dress code policies, depending, should be a part of a larger school reform effort. So, okay, you're going to put your kids in uniforms to make them feel safer or more, you know, proud of their school. But you also need to take into account teaching methods getting parents involved, you know, extracurriculars. Like, they're, they, right, there are so many variables. School uniforms aren't just going to magically fix everything that's wrong with your school or your district. Yeah, especially because the thinking for a lot of public school districts in the United States is that you enforce uniforms in the, you know, the poorest school districts, and you don't address any of the community issues that are going on to where, you know, the, the if the kids have no support, nowhere to go, like after school, like, no, you're not going to have, you know, a healthy and happy learning environment just because that child is dressed just like the other child sitting next to him or her. Um, so the question of whether or not school dress codes and uniforms are good for students Seems like a toss-up. It depends. Yeah, it could be. I have a feeling that for high school students who are listening, and middle school students, I know we have some middle schoolers out there who are listening to this, the answer might be no, absolutely not. Or, I don't know, again, it's like some kids might be more for a slutty Wednesday kind of thing, and other kids might be like I was and wishing that I could wear the exact same thing every day to school just to make life easier. Um, But for parents, just from reading comments on my articles about school dress codes. It seems like there is, uh, you can track the age of a person's child and how much they really, really, really want a dress code <laughs> enforced. The older yeah. those kids get, the more parents are like, just get a uniform on them already. <laughs> my mom loved buying me clothes to the point where I was like, mom, I'm 19. Stop buying me clothes. <laughs> oh, my mom was the opposite. <laughs> Nance is not a fan of shopping. But no, my mom will walk by a store and she'll be like, oh, my gosh, look at those smock dresses. She doesn't talk like that. I don't know. It's just in my head. But yeah, no, my mom still wishes she could dress me and not in uniforms. I'd like to see what she would pull for you. Smock dresses, uh, Lily Pulitzer, uh, lots of pink. My my initials would be embroidered on everything. Yeah, there was a lot of monogramming that went on at my at my high school. Yeah. Ooh. 
Okay. Before I have a panic attack thinking about my high school days, go ahead and send us your thoughts. I'll be curious to hear from students, from teachers, from parents out there on school dress codes and uniforms. Does it help if your kid does wear a uniform? Have you noticed a difference in learning, happiness, all of that? MomStuffAtDiscovery.com is where you can send your letters. You can also send us a message on Facebook. And now, Kristen, let's read some letters. Well, we've got a couple of letters here in response to our Transgender 101 episode. And we've got some really positive feedback from that episode, which makes me really happy. So I'm going to read this letter, for instance, from JoJo. Just got done listening to the podcast, and I just had to say that I always appreciate when people bring up transgender issues and struggles. I'm transgender myself, and even learned a thing or two today about myself and people like me in other countries. For me personally, I don't mind if people ask me questions, so long as they do so with respect that you'd expect from anyone. Anyhow, keep up the good work. So thank you, Jojo. And I have a very similarly positive email from Lisa. Uh, Lisa says, I want to give you a pat on the back for a job well done on your Transgender 101 podcast. Why, thank you. I'm patting myself on the back as we speak. As the founder of Transgender Education Network of Texas and a longtime trans advocate, when I see a media outlet doing a piece on transgender issues, my first reaction is to cringe and itsy bit. Most people, well-meaning as they are, typically get some things very wrong. You guys got it right. All right. Thank you for that. Your piece was well-researched, insightful, and respectful. When the mainstream cis world brings our issues to their audience, it makes the world better for gender-diverse people everywhere. In our struggle, we have always said the education is the key. The more people know us, the more they will treat us with respect. Thank you for moving the ball forward. No pun intended. So thank you, Lisa. And thanks to everyone who's written in to momstuffatdiscovery.com. And don't forget to head over to Facebook... And like us over there while you're at it, because we do a lot of fun things on Facebook, such as our Women's History Month project, where Caroline and I dressed up in costumes and posted some, we hope, entertaining pictures of ourselves, like female stereotypes and icons. So if you have no idea what I'm talking about, that means you haven't been to our Facebook page. So go over there before you do anything else. (laughs) But there is no microphone to click in the corner of the page. You can also follow us on Twitter at MomStuffPodcast and on Tumblr as well. We are at StuffMomNeverToldYou.tumblr.com. And as always, during the week, you can make yourself smarter at our website. It's HowStuffWorks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. 